We welcome each one to our service tonight, and we trust the Lord's blessing uh, to be upon us as we meet and worship Him. And we're going to turn in our hymnals to him or the to the Psalm 23a, the Psalm 23a, the Lord's my shepherd, I'll not want. We do welcome those who are visiting with us and uh, those watching online, and uh, we trust uh, that uh, you'll be blessed this evening as we meet together in worship. The Psalm 23a will stand to sing, please. be seated. We're going to turn in the Word of God this evening to Luke's Gospel, chapter 19. Luke's Gospel, chapter 19. And we're going to consider something from this passage later on during the preaching of the Word of God. Uh, But Luke 19, commencing to read at verse 1. 
And the Word of God says, Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus, who he was, and could not for the press, because he was little of stature. And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him, and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste, and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste, and came down, and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying, that he was gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for so much as he also is a son of Abraham." For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Amen. And may the Lord bless the reading of his precious and inerrant word this evening. Let us unite together in prayer and seek the Lord as we come to worship him. Let us pray. Eternal God and our loving Father in heaven, we give thee thanks this evening that we can look unto thee and that we can come with thy gospel upon our lips. We can come desiring to hear thy truth afresh to our hearts. And we thank thee that the Son of Man came into this world, and he came to seek and to save that which was lost. And we thank thee tonight for those who have been redeemed, and those who have been saved, and those who have experienced this great change within their lives because of the Savior. And our Father, we do think of those who have never trusted Thee, those who have never repented, those of whom the Scripture says are dead in trespasses and sins. And Father, we pray that Thou would draw nigh to them this evening. May they know that effectual call of the gospel, that call that cannot be resisted, and that call that will redeem them and save their souls. And Father, we pray tonight that that would move in our congregation. We think of families who are not united in Christ. And we think, O oh God, of friends and loved ones who know not the Savior. And we think of those who attend our congregation here outside of Christ. Lord, speak to them, we pray, and draw them unto the Savior. Bless the preaching of thy word. Bless that external call of the gospel to their hearts, and may, it, may, their, may they experience that effectual call unto salvation. And Father, tonight we thank Thee we can gather together. We thank Thee we can lift our voices in praise to Thee, and in thanksgiving for the gospel. We realize, O oh God, that we are sinners, condemned and depraved, but yet in mercy and love and grace Thou didst send Thy Son to be the Savior of sinners. And we rejoice tonight that the doors of this building are open to the preaching of thy truth. And as we worship thee, Father, come 
and keep us from distractions, keep us from outside distractions, keep us from the distractions, uh, not only here amongst us, but even distractions of our own minds, uh, trying to uh, take our thoughts away from uh, the precious Word of God. Lord, speak tonight, we pray, and draw souls to thyself, glorify thy name. We do remember our denomination, remember our mission works, and Father, we think of the works here in uh, British Columbia and Penticton and here in Cloverdale and Prince George and there in Williams Lake. And Father, bless, we pray, as we uh, think upon this conference that has been arranged for August and September. Uh, we pray that uh, Thou would bless this planning and uh, we pray, O oh God, that there would be interest in that conference, an interest amongst those who reside in the area of Williams Lake. And Father, may uh, there uh, be a blessed time as we gather together around thy word. Prepare our hearts, we pray. Uh, prepare the people to come and hear the word of God. And may it be a time of blessing and fellowship and a time uh, where the word of God is preached in a way that is applied to our hearts, that there would be uh, the fruit of salvation seen within lives and within souls. Father, we remember the mission works. We uh, think uh, tonight especially, Lord, of the work in Mexico. Meet their needs there, we pray. Uh, bless our brethren, Reverend Boyle. Remember our brother Lalo as well as he ministers uh, there in Mexico. Bless their works. Uh, bless, Father, every aspect that Christ would be glorified, that souls would be saved, not in darkness, the light of the gospel would shine forth and that souls uh, would flee uh, to the Savior in faith and repentance. Lord, we remember our vacant congregations. We think of Port Hope and Calgary and Phoenix. Lord, call a man of thy choosing and thy will, we pray, and call men into thy work, we ask. Men to preach the word of God and men who are not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Father, come and bless us this evening. Meet our needs. Glorify thy name, we ask for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. We're going to turn again in our hymnals to the hymn 41. The hymn 41, and blessed be the name, all praise to him who reigns above in majesty supreme. The hymn 41 will stand again as we worship, please.
Amen. And you may be seated. Uh, we're turning uh, this evening in the Word of God uh, to Romans chapter 8, uh, the epistle of Paul to the church in Rome, and uh, chapter 8. And we'll commence our reading at the verse 18, reading down to the end of the chapter. Romans 8 and the verse in number 18, and the Word of God says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wait the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, and to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren." Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own Son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus 
our Lord. Amen. And may the Lord bless the reading of his precious and infallible truth this evening. We do welcome each one fresh to our service. And we look to the Lord for his presence and for the power of his spirit as we come and meet with him this evening. Do remember on Wednesday, it is our prayer meeting and Bible study, and uh, we meet in the prayer room downstairs, also on Zoom. And so if you need the link for Zoom, uh, then do uh, let me know. And next Lord's Day, we meet at 10.30 for Sunday school, or 9.30 for Sunday school, and uh, for the adult Sunday school as well. And then five, or 10.30 is the morning worship, 5.30 is the prayer meeting, and 6 p.m. Uh, the evening worship. Uh, the new carpet uh, tiles will be installed this week, starting tomorrow, and so hopefully by next Lord's Day, uh, the church will uh, look a little better uh, than uh, we currently look right now. And we do thank those uh, who have given time to help around the church inside and outside this past week. The current magazine is now available. Uh, it wasn't here this morning, but it is here this evening, so do take a copy of that. And... Uh, do remember as well, and we announced this this morning, the Western Canada Family Conference. It's a conference that has been planned, a joint venture between our Prince George congregation and the Cloverdale congregation here. And it is our men, our elders, myself and the Reverend Simpson in Prince George who uh, are organizing uh, this conference. And so uh, we do ask you to pray for it, pray for the Lord's blessing to be upon it, pray that it would encourage uh, the congregation in Williams Lake. It is uh, our intention uh, that in other years the conference will maybe be moved around, uh, so it's not just going to be in Williams Lake, uh, but that is something for another occasion. Uh, but this year it is planned for Williams Lake, and uh, the dates are in the bulletin, August the 30th to September the 1st. The preacher is the Reverend John Wagner, the deputy moderator for our denomination, and it is to encourage spiritual growth and closer fellowship uh, between our churches in Western Canada. Uh, there's free registration, and uh, that simply means that some conferences do have a charge. We are not charging, and uh, do, <coughs> excuse me, do uh, let us know uh, if you will uh, be coming. Uh, there are details on uh, the bulletin and the email. There are leaflets. Uh, emails will go out and it will be advertised on our social uh, media page on Facebook as well. So we do encourage you to come. <coughs> Excuse me. We do encourage you to come uh, to tell friends and family uh, to take the leaflets or the advertisement or the email and pass it to others. Encourage them to come. And we trust that we would have a blessed time uh, gathering uh, together. So more details will follow in the future. So do uh, remember uh, that, please. We're going to turn in our hymnals to the hymn 372. Hymn 372, uh, the haven of rest. And we'll remain seated while our tithes for the Lord's work are received. 372. <laughs>
Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the tithes and these offerings. May we pray, dear God, that it will be used wisely for the spread of the gospel and uh, further your kingdom here on earth. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. And now we pray for our pastor as he preached the word. We pray that you give us strength and focus to listen well and obey what's written in the word. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll stand to sing the remainder of this hymn, please.
Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> you may be seated. Um, we're turning in the Word of God this evening uh, to Romans uh, chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. I'm a little concerned about my voice. I felt a little cough, a little dryness, a little tickle during the announcements. And I ran out of water up here, so I had to go and get more. And it is, I feel it's a little more dusty in here uh, than it, well, it's really dusty. Uh, but with taking up the carpet, uh, there's still dust about. Uh, that might be part of the problem. Uh, this is my fourth meeting today as well. And uh, my voice was uh, fine uh, for uh, the other three. Uh, but I remember last Sunday evening, my throat was very dry at the end of uh, a day's preaching. And so I'm not sure whether it's the dust or not, uh, or whether it's just mileage, uh, but we trust the Lord uh, will help this evening as we come to his word. And if I have to cough or if I have to drink some water, uh, do bear with me. Uh, if I have to choke, uh, you can come and help me. Uh, but we trust uh, that all will be good tonight and the Lord uh, will give that help. And certainly I've preached many times and I've wondered, well, well, I have a voice at the end of the sermon. And I mightn't have had much voice at the end of the sermon, uh, but the sermon has went out and God has always helped in a special way. And so we look for that this evening. And we'll come to the preaching now and uh, we'll, get, uh, we'll get right in and uh, hopefully save the voice and not say too much else. Uh, but Romans chapter 8, and we'll read uh, verse 28 to 30 again. And the Word of God says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. Amen, and may the Lord bless uh, the reading of his precious word uh, this evening. We unite in prayer, we'll seek uh, the help of the Lord. <clears throat> Eternal God and our loving Father in heaven, uh, we thank thee tonight for thy goodness and grace. We rejoice that we can praise thee together. And as we come now to thy word, Father, bless us together. Have that application to our hearts. Speak to those outside of the kingdom of God. Draw them to thyself, we pray. And Lord, have that word for each of us. Give strength and give help. Lord, thou hast created the voice of man, and thou hast control over the voice of man. And we pray this evening that uh, we uh, would know thy help and strength to declare the unsearchable riches of Christ. Give us help. Glorify thy name, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Amen. The 19th century English preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon once remarked in a sermon, I remember sitting one day in the house of God. He went on to say how dry the sermon was. And then he said that a thought struck his mind. And he was distracted from the sermon. 
And he asked himself that question, how did I come to be converted? He said, I prayed, thought I. Then I thought, how did I come to pray? I was induced to pray by reading the scriptures. How did I come to read the scriptures? Why? I did read them. And what led me to that? And in a moment, he said, I saw that God was at the bottom of it all and that he was the author of faith. And then the whole doctrine opened up to me from which I have not departed. The whole doctrine of salvation. And he expressed his understanding of a vital truth that sits at the center of the doctrine of salvation, that God saves sinners by grace alone. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. And the church of Christ is commissioned by the Lord to go into all the world and to preach the gospel to every creature. And this setting forth of the gospel of Christ is defined as the external or the outward call of the gospel, the preaching of Christ, the preaching to you of your need of Christ, and the preaching to you of your need to turn from sin and to come in faith and repentance to the Savior, to trust in Him and not in the things of this world, to trust in Him and not in yourself, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. That is what we refer to as the outward call. It's external. We can hear it. And the Savior said in Matthew 20, verse 16, many are called, referring to the external call. Many hear the word. Many are called to repentance, but few are chosen. And this outward call points men to their need of Christ and to their duty of believing in Christ. And it is the duty and responsibility of the church to preach the gospel to preach the gospel. We believe in what is called the free offer of the gospel of Christ, that sinners are called to repentance, and that God's elect are called to repentance. We don't know who the elect are, but we are told to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And so that is what the church does. That is the responsibility and duty of the preaching and the preacher of the word of God. However, there is also an inward call, or what is referred to as an effectual call, the call of the gospel inwardly within the heart and soul of man. And it was defined by Thomas Watson as God, with the offer of grace, works grace. By this call, the heart is renewed and the will is effectually drawn to embrace Christ. The outward brings men to a profession of Christ. The inward to a possession of Christ. And it is the possession of Christ that sinners need for their salvation. And the doctrine of effectual calling, the inward call within the heart, is inseparable from the doctrine of election. As God calls his people so powerfully that they are saved. The Westminster divines in their shorter catechism asked the question, what is effectual calling? Effectual calling is the work of God's Spirit, whereby convincing us of our sin and misery, enlightening our minds in the knowledge of Christ and renewing our wills, he doth persuade and enable us to embrace Jesus Christ, freely offered to us in 
the gospel. Let me slow down there for a moment and explain uh, this definition. The divine said effectual calling, that work of calling the sinner to repentance, of that effectual work within the heart, it is the work of the Spirit of God. He is the one who comes and works silently within the heart of man, whereby convincing us of our sin and misery. And the Spirit works within us, convinces us of our sin, of our misery and being under the wrath of God. And our minds are enlightened in the knowledge of Christ, that we know that He can save. Our wills are renewed, that will that was swung toward sin and the flesh and all that is against God. And that will is renewed toward the Savior. And the Spirit, He doth persuade and enable us to embrace Jesus Christ, freely offered to us in the gospel. It's a work that is irresistible, a work that God does within the heart, redeeming sinful man, changing our hearts, making us a new creature in Christ. The theologian A.A. Hodge defined effectual calling as the exercise of divine power upon the soul, immediate, spiritual, and supernatural, communicating a new spiritual life, and thus making a new mode of spiritual activity possible, possible, coming to the sinner. And the sinner in Ephesians 2 is defined as being dead in trespasses and sins. There is nothing that they can do to save themselves. And dear believer, when you were in your sin, you were dead in trespasses and sins. There was nothing you could do to save yourself. You could not say one day, I'm going to be a Christian, and I'm going to go to church, and I'm going to read my Bible, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to be a Christian. Because there might be that outward profession, but is there the inward possession by the Savior? The true believer has this work within their hearts by the Spirit, the Spirit drawing them, the Spirit saving them, the Spirit working irresistibly within their heart. A genuine work, a true work, and that's what we desire, genuine conversions that are the work of the Spirit of God and not the emotions of men. And therefore, effectual calling is a doctrine that impacts our understanding of salvation in the sense that it is all of God and not of ourselves. It is a doctrine that affects our sanctification because we are called by God unto salvation. We are called by God to live for Him. And it is a doctrine that governs our evangelism. Why? Because salvation is all of God. We are to preach the external call of the gospel, but the inward call is not something that we can do ourselves. It is the supernatural work of the Spirit of God. And therefore, in evangelism, we remember that. We remember that. Because while we can preach and we can offer the gospel and we can warn men and women, it is the Spirit who opens the heart. Lydia, in Acts chapter 16, it says, whose heart the Lord opened. She didn't open it herself. The Apostle Paul didn't open her heart. The Bible says this, the Lord opened her heart to receive the truth, to believe the gospel. 
and effectual calling. This doctrine impacts our understanding of salvation, affects our sanctification, and governs our evangelism. And those who have been redeemed by Christ and called unto salvation are a blessed people who experience the Spirit's work throughout their lives. And we see this in Romans chapter 8. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son. And then verse 30, Moreover, whom He did predestinate, them He also called. And whom He called, He justified. And the effectual call shows forth the power of the Spirit in an undeserved grace that is unhindered in the work of completely changing the life of a sinner, making them a new creature in Christ. That's why we say the work is irresistible. Man can't stand against it. Man can't block it. It is the work of God through His grace. And so this evening I want us to consider then the doctrine of effectual calling. The doctrine of effectual calling. And firstly, I want you to see that the Christian is called by the Spirit unto Christ. The Christian is called by the Spirit unto Christ. And we'll be more doctrinal here, and then our last two points are perhaps more practical in the outworking of them. Uh, but firstly, the Christian is called by the Spirit unto Christ. And there are two particular means by which God calls sinners unto Himself. Firstly, through the Word of God. It is the Word of God that is preached. The larger catechism asks the question, what makes the Word effective for salvation? The Spirit of God causes the reading, and especially the preaching of the Word, to enlighten, convince, and humble sinners. The Spirit drives sinners out of themselves and draws them to Christ. He conforms them to His image and subdues them to His will. He strengthens them against temptations and corrupting influences, and He builds them up in God's grace and establishes their hearts in holiness and comfort through faith to salvation. So the divines, looking at Scripture, they give many scriptural proofs, they ask that question, what makes the Word effective for salvation? And it's the working of the Spirit. It's the Spirit that does this. It's God's Spirit working quietly like the wind within the heart of the individual and conforms them and changes them. And so there is a necessity then of being under the external call of the gospel, putting ourselves under the truths of the gospel. When we think of that, the importance of the word, the importance of hearing the word, what is the focus of our evangelism? What is the focus of our preaching? It's the Word of God. When we come to worship the Lord, uh, we sing, but we read His Word, and we preach His Word. And probably the preaching aspect is the longest aspect of our time together in worship. Because of the centrality of God's Word, Men are to hear preaching. We considered that recently. Men are to hear preaching. The Word of God, the truth of the gospel, is to be preached. And the calling by the Word falls a little under the general or external call of the gospel, which is the duty of the church. And we can think of us in evangelism. How do we reach the lost? 
We reach them through the gospel, through the external call. That could be through preaching. That can be through the word of God being brought to their minds. That can be through a gospel leaflet or an invitation. But the aim is to bring them to the house of God, to bring them under the sound of the preaching of the word so that they would hear the glorious truths of salvation. The disciples were told, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And they were not told that to keep them from lying in bed all day and being lazy. They were told that because there was a work to be done, that it is the primary means that God has appointed, and Christ had called them to preach the external call of the gospel, to be his witnesses, to go into the world and to preach the truth. And we are reminded of that. The Christian is called by the Spirit unto Christ, and the Spirit works through the Word of God. And therefore, we are to give great, great attention to the preaching of the Word. We're to place ourselves under the preaching of the Word. We're to place ourselves under the reading of Scripture. We're not to forsake that. We're not to forsake that. There is a general gospel call, and that gospel call is often resisted, resisted by those who hear the gospel, resisted by those who love their sin more than they love Christ, resisted by those who are dead in their trespasses and sins. But yet the effectual call is one that cannot be resisted, that internal call. But there are many who the external call has come, and they've ignored it. They've been under conviction. They've thought of their sin. They've left, not putting the matter right. That call has come externally. What a privilege it is to hear the truth. But as they left, Christ had not been accepted as their Savior. Why? Because there is also that effectual call. It is by the Spirit of God. By the Spirit of God, God uses the means of the preaching of His Word through His servants to call sinners. And we see here in Romans 8 uh, about this call. Verse 28, to them who are the called according to His purpose. In verse 30, whom He called, them He also justified. There's an internal call here, a call to salvation, a call to justification. Thomas Watson said, Know that in every sermon preached, God calls to you. And to refuse the message we bring, he said, is to refuse God himself. And the preaching of the word is effectually applied to sinners by the Holy Ghost. Watson describes this in a very simple way. A very simple way. He said, ministers, they come and they knock. And they knock at the door of the heart. And they knock and warn of the gospel, and they cry to the sinner to come to Christ and to repent of their sin, but they're standing outside the door, and they're preaching and warning, but they're outside the door, knocking the door. Watson described then the Spirit coming. Effectually, he comes, the minister stands to the side, the Spirit takes the key, opens the door, and goes straight in. Irresistibly straight in. The Lord opening the heart of Lydia. And there's no saving faith without faith and repentance in Christ. And no sinner can exercise faith and repentance by himself. 
as Ephesians tells us, it is the gift of God. And therefore, dear believer, when we think of the external call, we should desire to come under it and to bring the unsaved under it. But when we think of that effectual call, we should rejoice in it because God should be glorified because of that call within our hearts. What did Paul do? We turn to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, the verse 14. And Paul says, But God forbid that I should glory, that I should glory above, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. He didn't want to glory or boast in anything else. What he'd accomplished or who he was or the great things he'd experienced in life. His boast and his glory was Christ because the cross meant so much to him. And when he thought of the gospel and when he thought of his own conversion, there was nothing he could do to save himself. He was religious. He was a man who moved with zeal, thinking he was serving God, but he was found out to be one who needed Christ. Needed Christ. Oh, how you could be like Saul of Tarshish. Believe you're serving the Lord. Believe you're a Christian. Believe that all is well with your soul. Like Paul did. All is well. But yet, your idea, your view of God is not the scriptural view like on the same that Paul had. Not a scriptural view. Rejecting Christ. And you find that the Savior and His salvation is what you need. Well, that you would hear that external call, that you hear that effectual call to your heart that draws you to the Savior, that works within your soul, the power of God, the power of God. And when we think of salvation, it is the Lord who moves in His Spirit. It is the Lord who draws the sinner to Himself, and there's faith and repentance and there's justification, and there's adoption, and there is sanctification. And then what happens after that, and we'll see that in a moment, there is glorification, the great process or the order of salvation. All worked by the Spirit of God. I want you to turn back to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, here we have What well, we would call in Northern Ireland, there's a children's song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. And if you're not sure what the word wee means, it means a little. It's used very often in Northern Ireland. You would go uh, to uh, the coffee shop, and you would say, could I have a cup of coffee, please? And you might order a large cup of coffee, and they'll say, well, you know, there's your wee cup, and there's your wee coffee, and there's your wee spoon, and there's your wee sugar, and here's, um, you know, your, your, your wee card back from paying for it. And so, it's not wee at all, it's just something they say all the time. Uh, they would talk about a mountain uh, that was wee, but in reality, it's a mountain, uh, a wee mountain. Compared to here, I think our mountain's a wee, 
and the mountains here are big. Uh, but Zacchaeus was a wee little man, as with the children's song goes. And a wee little man was he. And it tells the story that we have here in Luke chapter 19. He was a little man. He was short of stature. And we find that he couldn't see Christ in verse 3 because of the press. Uh, that uh, press is a word that means multitude. It doesn't mean that CNN were there or an early version of CNN uh, recording what was taking place. It means the multitude. And if we were all to go into the office and with all the furniture removed right now, it would be tough getting two or three people in and never mind all of us. And if we all went in there and closed the door, what would be happening? We'd be pressing against each other because there's no room. And that's what uh, the view is here in this word. We're pressing against each other. So many were there to see Christ. And Zacchaeus couldn't see because he was small and because of the press and the amount of people around. Uh, he was uh, like a little child trying to see the parade going past and couldn't see it because all the adults were standing in front of him. And he could not see. And so he found a tree and he stood up. But here we have a great picture of uh, the Savior and a picture of effectual calling. It was C.H. Spurgeon who preached on the call of the gospel, and he preached on it from Luke 19. There's a sermon by Spurgeon on effectual calling from this particular passage, and he deals with it simply. He said they'd preached it before, uh, but he's coming and preaching it simply uh, for men and women to understand, and he spoke and said that this was a gracious truth, a gracious truth. I've taken a little liberty with his outline. I've changed it a little bit, uh, but the core of it is still there. It's a gracious truth. And when you think of this, Zacchaeus was, as Spurgeon said, one whom we would suppose to be the last to be saved, or maybe not even saved. He was from a city that was viewed as evil in the Word of God, a city that had been cursed. And no one would think that anyone would come out of Jericho to be saved. And we see the graciousness of Christ and the mercy of Christ. He came to Jericho and there he met Zacchaeus. And we can think of ourselves, how the Lord has moved and worked in our lives. And it is all of grace and mercy. There's nothing we could do to save ourselves. The Lord in his grace effectually called us. It is a personal call. There was a press there, a press of people, many individuals. And what did the Savior do? He climbed, the, Zacchaeus climbed the tree and when Jesus came to the place, verse 4, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. There's something missing in this text. The person who told the Savior, see that man up there? His name is Zacchaeus. The passage doesn't record anyone pointing the name out. What do we understand from that? Well, the Lord knew. The Lord knew his name. He didn't need to be told. He stopped and he pointed. He knew this is a man that needs to be saved, a man who needs to be changed, a man who is redeemed. And that call came to him. It was a personal call. The Savior knew the name of his redeemed. He knew the name of his elect. He knew the name of the one he would save. How encouraging that is to us. The Lord knew our name. He called us personally unconditionally. He has his chosen people whom he calls. It's also a hastening call. A hastening call. What did the Savior say? Make haste. 
make haste. There are those that will often say, well, tomorrow I'll get right with God. Tomorrow I'll get saved. I'll put it off. Zacchaeus was told to make haste. Make haste. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Spurgeon pointed out it was a humbling call. Zacchaeus had to make haste. Verse 6, and came down. Came down. And the idea Spurgeon had there was this man had to come down. He was filled with pride. He was rich. He had stolen. But he had to come down. And when it comes to salvation and the work of God within our lives and that effectual call, there's a coming down. It's repentance. It's realizing our sin. Realizing there's nothing we can do and humbling ourselves before the Lord. The Lord humbles the sinner. Humbles the sinner. Spurgeon said, one of the first steps I had to take was to go right down from my good works. And oh, what a fall that was. What a fall. It was an affectionate call. The Savior said, today I must abide in thy house. Abide in thy house. They thought Christ to be the holiest and best of men and were ready to make him a king. But Christ said to Zacchaeus, the man they looked down upon, not because of his stature, but because of who he was and what he had done. Today I must abide in thy house. It's a call of love. A call of love, a call of affection. The call of the gospel through the power of the Spirit is a loving call to the Lord's people. It's an abiding call. Today I must abide in thy house. A common call is, well, today I'll walk into your house. I'll stay for a little while. I'll maybe just stand at the front door, but Christ says, I'll abide. I'll abide. And when Christ sees and when Christ delivers, he abides with us. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. Salvation. No man can pluck us out of the Father's hand. It is a call that is necessary. Zacchaeus being up that tree wouldn't suddenly realize. Look at the time. Christ is coming to my house and I have to go and I have to make sure all is ready. He didn't know. He needed to receive the call. Christ says, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down. For today I must abide at thy house. It was something that was absolutely necessary. And the call of Christ in the gospel effectually, dear believer to you, is something that was necessary. The Spirit had to come and do that work in your heart to save you. Otherwise, you would never be saved. You would never be redeemed. It was a fruitful call. A fruitful call, an effectual call. We see the fruit that it brought forth. We see the fruit. And we see that in verse 8. Well, we see it because he, he showed the Savior to his home and took care of the Savior. But verse 8, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I have given to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Christ said, verse 9, This day salvation has come to this house. This house. Redemption. It was a fruitful call. A call that saw fruit and the call of Christ in the gospel. It's a call that sees fruit within your life. Secondly, I want you to see, and we'll be more practical, we'll be briefer here. But the Christian is called from sin unto holiness. This is building from our thought of that fruitful call. The believer is called through the gospel to live for Christ. The call of God upon the life of a Christian does not end with his salvation. 
but it is a call from sin unto holiness, a call from this world unto Christ to not be conformed to this world, to be transformed as we saw this morning. And we can look at everything we said this morning and put it in here. The Christian is called from sin unto holiness. The Christian is called to live as we see outlined in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Living for the Lord and in seeking a sanctified and a separated life, the believer then obeys the teaching of Scripture to glorify God, to forsake the lusts and the sins and the influence and the company of this world. All those influences that are against God, the Christian is effectually called. That is what our calling is about to be saved and to be delivered. Coming back to Romans, and we are saved and delivered. We are called to be saints. We are called to be the redeemed of the Lord. Those who are justified and changed and righteous in the sight of God. We're not to have the influence and company of this world. Richard Sibbs, the Puritan, said, He wants no company that hath Christ for his companion. Why would you want the company of the world when Christ is your companion? Oh, believer, think upon that. Why would the company of this world matter to you? Your friends that sin day by day, your friends that seek to influence you away from God. Yes, be a witness to them, but don't let them influence you to sin. He wants no company that Christ that hath Christ for his companion. And the reality of the effectual call, that working of God within the heart, irresistibly is marked by a godly life that is also seen in a compassionate heart toward others who are in their sins. And if we think of this, we've been called and justified. What about others? Well, we're better than them because we've been called? No. We've experienced the mercy and grace of God. Let us pray for them. Let us witness to them. Let us desire to show forth the blessedness of salvation in our actions and in our words. Thomas Watson referred to this holy calling as a high calling, a high calling. The very quotable Thomas Watson. Because we are called to high exercises of religion, to be crucified to the world, to be to live by faith, to do angels' work, to love God, to be living organs of his praise, to hold communion with the Father and the Son. He says this, whole, this holy calling, it's a high calling, a high calling of holiness. And the new creature seeks to live for Christ. It's the fruit of the Spirit. There's the mortification of sin. We can think of 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11, and those words that remind us of the depravity of sin. And what does Paul say? Such were some of you. The church in Corinth was filled with wicked sinners. Past tense. They'd been saved and redeemed. And the Lord deals with sin. and He deals with it effectually through the power of the gospel call. Dear believer, remind yourself that you're called by God to holiness, to flee the world to live for him, to glorify him in all things. And then thirdly and finally, the Christian is called to serve in unity. The Christian is called to serve in unity. The believer is not isolated, but is adopted into the family of God through his calling in Christ. And the apostle, spoke, the apostle Paul spoke of that marvelous bond in Acts 20, verse 28, about the church whom he hath purchased with his own blood. And when we I think of this calling. Each of us shares this calling with other believers 
within the church. We are called to be the church of Christ. It's not just a call for the pastor or a call to the elder or deacon or a call to one or two individuals. Those who comprise the church, who are truly saved, have been called to be the church of Christ. And therefore, we're not to isolate ourselves, but we're to be active seeking to serve the Lord through this great unity and bond that we enjoy as the family of God. It is a calling from sin and from the world to the Lord, a calling into the church invisible, a calling to serve the Lord and to labor with unity. And Paul rejoiced in believers everywhere because of their faith. When we think of this effectual call and the great unity that we have, it reminds us of the hardships we have, all these things work together for good. Notice what verse 28 says. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. All things work together for good to them that love God. The effectual call the call to be a Christian comes with this great promise that everything in life works together for your good, dear believer. The hardships, the trials, God is in control. We may have trials and persecutions, but one day we shall see him face to face. It is an immutable, unchangeable call that we can rejoice in. In verse 30, it says, whom he justified, them he also glorified. Thinking of the end of life, being glorified, being with the Savior for all eternity. That's the end of our call, our glorification, our elevation to glory. Samuel Rutherford, the Scottish preacher, said that all the saints have their own measure of winter before eternal summer. Oh, for the long day and the high sun and the fir garden and the king's great city up above these visible heavens. Oh, he looked and longed for that day that he would experience glorification. Why? Because Christ had called him. Christ had called him. Dear believer, encourage your heart. There is a confidence. There is a certain hope. There is blessing. There is the help of God in life. All things work together for those who are called. The doctrine of effectual calling, as we close, reminds us and encourages the church of her duty to preach the word in season and out of season. There are those who refuse to deliver the external call from a hyper-Calvinistic persuasion. They believe we're not to call sinners to repentance. We're just to preach the word. Let God work effectually. But we are, it is the responsibility of the church to be faithful in preaching and in preaching the necessity of faith and repentance. But we're not to force. We're not to manipulate sinners to profess Christ. We're not to play on emotions. As we preach and as we set forth that external call, what is the church to do? God is in control. The church is to pray that God would move effectually and save his people. He would move effectually in their hearts for salvation is of the Lord. And that's why we can have the confidence. Salvation is not of ourselves. There are those who will say that, well, it's the sinner makes the decision. It's the sinner who changes themselves. And therefore then the sinner, if they fall into sin again, and they fall into unconfessing, and the believer who comes from a life of 
drunkenness and a life of drug abuse and a life of immorality, and they're saved and redeemed. What a testimony they have. But then if they sin again, and if they fall back to that, they lose their salvation. We're not to fall back to that. We're to live for Christ. They believe you can be saved, and then you can be lost. We don't see that here in Romans 8. The Lord is with his people. The Lord moves effectually. There's a comfort here, not a license for us to go into sin, but a comfort that when God saves and redeems through Christ and through Christ alone and works effectually within our hearts, there is true and genuine salvation. May we look for that. May we pray for that. May we rejoice in that to the honor of the Lord's name. Amen. Amen. Let us turn in our hymnals to 609. The hymn 609, God will take care of you, be not dismayed, whatever betide, God will take care of you, beneath his wings of love abide, God will take care of you. 609 will stand as we sing, please.
Let us pray. Father and our God, we thank you that salvation is a sovereign work of thine. And we pray tonight that would draw sinners effectually to thyself, that would glorify thy name in salvation. And Father, we pray that we would trust in thee and we would rejoice that we have been effectually called unto righteousness from sin, unto holiness from wickedness. And Father, may we seek to live for Thee and to be united with one another who have been effectually called, and we would labor together for the glory of Thy name. Father, bless us, we pray. Meet our needs through this week. Give us opportunities to witness and to speak of our glorious Savior. And may the love of God, our Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship and communion of Thy Spirit be with us all. Amen.